It is possible that that story, the one we just heard, is my least favorite story in the Gospels. It might begin uh, my disfavor towards it with thoughts of outer darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those really upset me. I much prefer parables like the parable of the sower or the mustard seed or of the yeast, stories of surprise and abundance in God's kingdom. Today's parable is hard and it makes me very uncomfortable. We find today's story in a whole section of the Gospel of Matthew that might make us uncomfortable. Jesus has entered Jerusalem, and soon he will be arrested, crucified, and resurrected. His ministry is changing. Now he is centered on preparing the disciples for what comes next. And Jesus warns them that the temple will soon be destroyed. Now this makes the disciples very uncomfortable. They ask him to tell them when. How can they be ready and prepared? What will be the signs that will warn them? Perhaps they simply want to be prepared to defend their temple. But Jesus, instead instead of giving them a day or a time or a year, he begins to teach them about his return this final reign of God's kingdom. Now, the community of Matthew's gospel expects Jesus' return any day, although it certainly feels less imminent than it does, for example, for the community in Thessalonica. The gospel of Matthew was written about 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, which is about 20 years later than the first letter to the Thessalonians. My point is, take a moment. Imagine waiting for someone you love to return from a trip. Now, imagine that you know that their return will end all human affliction and bring with it the reign of God. What would you do with those 20 years of waiting? What would that be like for you and your community? So the disciples want a date or a sign. They want to be ready. And Jesus tells them stories. These apocalyptic images sound a lot like those that we find in Daniel and the prophets. Stories of earthly kingdoms overthrown by the power of God. There is the threat of war, hunger, and persecution. Jesus describes these final acts as if they are a dream. The Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus infuses our imagination with all of these images, and we we paint them on canvas and stained glass windows. This is how we expect to see Jesus when he reigns in all of his eternal glory. Yet here we are, some 2,000 years later, still waiting. Many of Jesus' parables are about waiting and these in-between days. What happens when we wait? How do we spend our time? How 
do we wait? So consider the ten bridesmaids. We heard that story last week, some of us. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And in the course of the story, all ten bridesmaids fall asleep. And they awaken to the cry, Look, here is the bridegroom. Sadly, they do not all have enough oil in their lamps to light the bridegroom's way. And some of them are not good sharers. So the bridesmaids who do not have enough oil must go away to get more oil. And when they return, discover that they are locked out from the wedding banquet. Now, I have a lot of thoughts about that parable. Here's the first one. Where's the bride? And the end of that parable says, Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So perhaps then the story is about how all the bridesmaids fell asleep. I wonder how the story would end if they had all stayed awake. But even so, why punish those who have gone to get more oil? If the heart of God is mercy, where do we find God in this story? Which brings me to today's parable. And there are so many difficulties with this story. To begin with, we must get past the image of slavery. Slavery is evil. And the use of this image in today's parable should wake us up or at least get our attention. When we hear the word slave, we must wonder whether the story is about God or about us. This parable also includes the language of wealth management or business strategies, words like trading, investments, and bankers. These are perhaps another clue that Jesus is up to something. These words are used alongside other words like reap and sow, gardening or farming language, what we might expect to hear Jesus talk about. And never mind that the scriptures, Exodus, Leviticus, forbid investing money with bankers. These literary difficulties compound the theological complexities of the parable. Is today's parable an allegory or a metaphor? And if so, what? What is the story about? How does this parable reflect the nature and character of God or of God's kingdom? Which got me wondering, is the story about God and God's kingdom? Now, this is one of the great things about how we read scriptures within the context of our community like this in worship. Because what you heard was, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. It's what's in your bulletin. But the way the scriptures read, Jesus says, for it is as if a man going on a journey. And I can see my ninth grade English professor, teacher, circling that word it, and writing a red arrow over to the side and saying, what is it? Define it. So I wonder, 
Maybe the story is about us, you and I, the human condition. And with that one question, I entered into the story. I could consider what it might be telling me. Because you see, it's not hard for me to imagine the way humans treat one another. It's not hard for me to imagine the desire and the fear of the slaves, both of which drive them to action. I know why those two hardworking slaves work so hard for their master. And I know why the one slave buries his talent. And the story got me thinking about privilege. Because, of course, the master is able to give and to take away. This is what masters do. And I know that I have received more than I needed because I have an abundance already. And I have witnessed others lose all they had solely because they already had nothing. Everything about this parable sounds like a world that I witness every day. This time in between while we wait for Jesus' eternal kingdom to reign. Jesus knows the human condition, and he knows what to expect from his followers. He knows that we can be impatient and that we love certainty. He knows that we are vulnerable and prone to fear. So Jesus spends his whole life, gives his whole life to assure us, to assure us of God's love for all of creation. And we know that God is always working to redeem us because Christ shows us the way. Christ is our promise that nothing separates us from the certainty of God's mercy. God gives us all we need. It is not only the day or the hour of Christ's return that matters most. It is all the hours and the days in between. From the beginning, God charges us humanity with the care and keeping of creation. And across time and history, it seems that maybe we've made a huge, giant mess of it all. And yet God has not abandoned us to ourselves. Jesus Christ, God's gift of God's own self, shows us the way. Here, here, he says, here is divine mercy, love, and grace for anyone who will receive it. And while we wait for God's eternal reign, how will we live? What guides and directs us? Do we live as those expecting Jesus' divine activity in our lives right here, right now? If the heart of God is mercy, where do we find God in this story? Where do we find God in our own lives? I hope 
a hope beyond all hope, that we find God's mercy for us and within us. I pray that this parable transforms us, that our discomfort makes us ready to live differently, to wonder if we could rewrite the story, how would we tell it? Perhaps we will begin by giving from the abundance of our lives to those who have nothing, from the basics of water and food to the eternal, like love and mercy. Perhaps we will find ways to honor our fears and acknowledge the way that it entraps us. Perhaps we begin with hope, hope for us and our neighbors. So let us consider all that is entrusted to us from God, our hearts, our minds, and our souls, our whole lives, and all of creation. These are generous gifts from the one who made us, who loves us first. And the gift of our lives is not the promise of ease. The gift of our lives is Christ in the midst of our vulnerability and our uncertainty. Christ's gift of himself to our fear, our grief, and the violence that we face. Christ's gift of love, grace, and mercy. He shows us the way. May we have the strength and the courage to follow.